Okay. We've a lot to try and get through this evening, um, but uh, I wanted just to start with a little um, reflection on God's Word, um, on being uh, salt and light, and really what that means for us in 2017. So look together at uh, these well-known verses from the Sermon on the Mount, uh, where Jesus says in Matthew 5, verses 13 to 16, you are the salt of the earth, he addresses his disciples. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city uh, city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it uh, on, on its stand uh, and it gives light to everyone, in, everyone in the house. In the, in the same way, let your light shine before men that uh, they may see your good deeds and glorify and praise your Father in heaven. This is a very well-known passage. Um, and I hope that familiarity uh, doesn't breed contempt. Obviously, that's something it should never do. Um, but I want to bring just uh, four brief points uh, from uh, this passage. And the first is, really, what, what does Jesus mean when he speaks about us, his followers, his disciples, being salt and light? What two things would, uh, oops, uh, would these very different elements have in common. And uh, I would say that, uh, what do salt and light have in common? Well, they both have a disproportionate transforming effect on their environment. If you think about it, you don't need a great deal of salt on your fish and chips to transform, transform the flavor. Uh, you don't need a particularly powerful battery in your torch uh, to see where to go at night. Uh, if you have a power cut, uh, you need to get the candles out. Uh, it's a little light, but actually it, it dispels the darkness in an amazing way. And I think that's what Jesus is meaning where he says that uh, we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. We are uh, very different and very distinctive uh, from the society, from the world around us. Uh, we're perhaps small in number. Uh, that's generally been the case uh, throughout church history that, that, that Christians have been uh, a small minority uh, within uh, any given society. But God delights to use us, even though uh, we may seem so very weak and so ineffectual and so small in number. Uh, he loves to take us and use us to have a disproportionate transforming impact and effect on our environment, on our culture, on our society. So we're different and distinctive. But secondly, um, why does the Lord Jesus choose these particular word pictures, these particular metaphors to describe his disciples as salt and light? Well, in the ancient world, they hadn't, of course, yet uh, discovered electricity and harnessed the power of electricity. Uh, so in order to keep meat and fish fresh, uh, salt had to be rubbed into it. It was a preservative. It was really essential uh, to stop food going off, to, to slow down the decaying process, to preserve what was good. 
And light, of course, as we've considered already, uh, is intended to dispel and to remove darkness, to expose indeed uh, what the darkness might hide and to see things as they really are. And that really speaks of uh, the world as it is, the fallen world of mankind that is marked, left to its own devices, by moral decay and by spiritual darkness. And we're going to be looking tonight at some examples of that incredible moral decay and great, great spiritual darkness in our society. And into that decaying world, into that dark world, the Lord sends us as salt and light to address that decay and to pierce that darkness. <coughs> it's interesting how in these verses he doesn't uh, really unpack in any way uh, at all how we are to be salt and light. Instead, he warns us not to lose our saltiness and not to hide our light. And that's the next point, really. There's the twofold temptation, a dual danger, we might say, as Christians. Uh, a danger, first of all, of dilution uh, and compromise, on the one hand, and, and disengagement and concealment on the other. So losing our saltiness, really, um, we could describe that as uh, dilution. Now, we all know, if we go to the doctor or the dentist, uh, quite often uh, they will make up a saline solution uh, to prevent infection. Uh, and uh, my understanding from reading one of the commentaries is that they, they had that in the ancient world as well in terms of preserving meat. They would have a, a big tank of salt water and they would put uh, the carcass of meat into that uh, to keep it fresh for many days. But perhaps if they lived in land and they couldn't have salt water from the sea and it was fresh water uh, and they put salt in it, if there wasn't enough salt put in, if it was too watered down, then it wouldn't have the effect of preserving the meat. Uh, and we know ourselves about the phrase of watering things down, uh, watering down our faith, watering down uh, our standards, uh, the way that we would choose to live. There's a great temptation for us to do that. But also, uh, there was a, a danger that salt uh, would be contaminated. See, salt doesn't go off. It's not like other substances that go off after time. Sodium chloride uh, in its purest form, it uh, doesn't lose its strength, it doesn't lose its flavour, it doesn't lose its saltiness. Uh, but it can, not only if it's diluted, but also if it's contaminated with other substances. I wonder if perhaps uh, what, was, what Jesus had in mind when he, when he spoke about salt losing its saltiness, it would often be put in a wooden bowl uh, on the kitchen table. Uh, it would be there, they didn't have salt cellars, they would have a bowl of salt. Um, and perhaps a child would run through the kitchen and knock the, the bowl of salt on the floor and it's mixed in with all the dust and all the dirt. Utterly useless. All you can do is throw it outside to be trampled on by men, as Jesus said there. Uh, and it's so easy for us to be contaminated by the world's thinking, uh, by the, the, all the dust, so to speak, of our own culture, that can so easily contaminate our thinking, contaminate our beliefs, contaminate our behaviour and our very lives. Uh, and in, in that way, we lose our saltiness, we lose our effectiveness. And similarly, uh, the danger there of um, 
uh, and that obviously would mean compromise. Um, but uh, as well as that, as well as perhaps compromising our beliefs, compromising our lifestyle, uh, there's a danger that we can simply just hide away from the world uh, and not actually engage um, in sharing the gospel, engage in some of the issues that we're considering tonight. We think just too difficult, too controversial, too costly for us to perhaps speak out, particular perhaps in the workplace, especially if we work in the public sector. Uh, there's a real danger uh, for us, we feel, that it, to say something is going to be very costly for us. So we disengage and we conceal what we really believe. Now, Jesus' warning here is really very, very serious indeed, uh, because what he says is that salt that loses its saltiness is useless, and light that is hidden is pointless. So if our lives, whatever we profess to be as, as Christians, but if our lives are marked by compromise, then the verdict on them will be that they were useless. If we never take the opportunity to say we're Christians, to share the gospel, to speak about uh, the Lord's truth on all these matters, if that is the, the, the general uh, evidence of, of, of what is there in our lives, or effectively what is not there, then the verdict on our lives is that they really were pointless. We were here for all these years. Did we speak out for Jesus? Did we share his truth? Did we bring the light of his word? into the darkness of our world. So very, very stern warnings that the Lord Jesus gives to us. May it be that none of us will have that verdict on our lives that they were either useless or pointless. But he finishes uh, on a very positive note, doesn't he, in verse 16, um, where he says, Let your light shine before men that they see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So he's speaking here of the connection between deeds and disciples. Now, it's been said that uh, Francis of Assisi, I don't think he did actually say this, but it's, he's claimed to have said, always preach the gospel, if necessary, use words. Um, that's almost like saying, always feed the poor, if necessary, use food. Uh, because the gospel, uh, preaching the gospel, it's a message uh, it's not principally a lifestyle that one finds attractive and wants to emulate, although there is that aspect to it, obviously. But it's principally the message of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, sending him into this world uh, to live the perfect life that we could never live and to die that death on the cross that we could never endure, uh, that death for as a payment for our sins, uh, rising again from the dead so that all who put their faith and their trust and their hope in Jesus have eternal life. That is the glorious gospel. So how is it that people will actually come to hear about that? How is it that they will, one might say, uh, give us an audience? Uh, we find, don't we, that people are apathetic, people are often hostile to the gospel. How is that gap bridged? How would they become interested in the things of God? How would we find that they came to an event put on by the church, perhaps? How would they listen to what we have to say? Well, what Jesus says here is, um, really, um, as you display the light of Christ in your life, 
people will take an interest uh, and there'll be opportunities for you to share the gospel with them. And I think even things as simple as little acts of kindness, compassion shown to people, that's in such short supply in our society that is so focused on self and people just pursuing their own interests. It will really stand out from the crowd if we'll show interest and kindness and compassion to our neighbours, to those we work with, those in our family and friends uh, that perhaps uh, are struggling with all sorts of difficulties and problems and hurts in their lives. If we, uh, as Christ's disciples, will show them kindness, then who knows what opportunities will come from that, that they may, uh, as they see our good deeds, as they see our acts of kindness, will ask, will listen, will come to faith themselves and praise their Father in heaven. Now sometimes salt stings, sometimes light uh, is unwelcome. If, if, uh, if you have teenage kids, as I have, um, or have been through that experience yourself, either, well, I guess most of us here will have actually been teenagers at one stage. Um, it's Saturday morning, you're having a lie-in, Mum, and, mum or dad comes in, pulls back the curtains, the light comes in and you hide under the duvet because the light's not welcome. You, you like just staying in bed with the darkness. So light isn't always welcome uh, and salt sometimes uh, stings. Uh, and sometimes our witness needs to have that cutting edge to it. Uh, people need to be challenged with the gospel. People need to be challenged uh, with the way that they are going in their lives. We all know that without Christ we all face a lost eternity. And indeed some of the things we'll be looking at this evening uh, are hugely dangerous, not only uh, for the freedoms that we have as Christians, but actually for our society and the way that our society is going. Uh, I find increasingly, as I speak around Scotland, uh, that a lot of Christians seem to have lost, um, a, a, how can I put it, um, they no longer seem to consider that the church, one of the church's aims is to promote the public good. Uh, people just don't seem to think that that is actually part of the calling of the church. But I, I can't understand how we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world unless that is for promoting the public good, doing good to all, as the apostle says, and seeking uh, the welfare and well-being of um, all those in society. Surely, uh, if we love our neighbour, we will promote uh, what is good for them and we'll warn them of danger, we'll warn them of things that will be uh, damaging to them in all sorts of ways, in particular spiritually. So we're going to look at some of these things uh, together this evening now. One of my favourite Christian authors uh, is uh, the late uh, Dr Francis Schaeffer. And he had a tremendous insight into the way that Western culture was heading. He died in 1984, uh, but uh, you read his writings and it was like he wrote them this year. And uh, he once said that, I believe that pluralistic secularism, and that's a bit of a mouthful, but it's basically the postmodern society in which we live just now, where basically um, any and every belief and worldview is, is permitted, uh, except anyone who claims that they have absolute truth, that, that, that's not allowed anymore. 
And what he said was that kind of um, society, he says, in the long run, is a more deadly poison than straightforward persecution. So translating that into the world of 2017, what he would say if he were alive today is that the future of the church, the future of faithful gospel witness is actually more at risk in countries like Britain and America than in places like Syria and Iraq where they are actually being put to death for the gospel. So serious stuff, but I hope we'll see as we go through some of these matters that it's that sort of subtle uh, silencing of the gospel, silencing of any opposition to the secular onslaught within our society, uh, the, the, either the refusal to speak truth into these situations or compromising and accommodating the message, accommodating what we believe to suit the culture that will be such a huge threat to faithful gospel preaching and Christian witness for the next generation. Okay, um, the Christian Institute. Christian Institute's been going for the past 26 years. That's our head office in Newcastle. Um, I'm based in Glasgow and uh, been Scotland officer for the past six and a bit years. Uh, the aim of um, the Institute is to uphold the truths of the Bible in the public arena. It's our belief that the collapsing culture in Britain today makes faithful Christian witness and contention all the more vital uh, in every area of society. We have a voice and we ought to use it. Uh, our website is christian.org.uk. Uh, you'll find there not only uh, the latest news, but also there's a huge uh, library, we could say, of uh, talks, lectures, sermons uh, from, we've had some of the finest preachers and teachers and theologians in the country uh, give uh, addresses um, to us, and uh, we, we hold lots of lectures each year, so there's five of them over the past 26 years, so that's well over 100 um, some of the finest speakers around and uh, churches from the Newcastle area, um, Christians are invited to, to come and, and there's always a good attendance at these lectures. Other speakers come and address our staff on important issues uh, and their um, messages have been recorded as well. They're all available free to listen to and download on our website. We've also got what we call apologetics hubs um, that deal with um, a lot of these hot potato issues that we deal with. Uh, we explain from a biblical perspective uh, why we believe it's uh, important for us to engage in these matters. Uh, we'll also give um, other reasons why we believe it's important uh, to take uh, these matters seriously uh, within our own society. You'll find on your, your seats this evening uh, one of these little cards, Keep Me Informed. Uh, we have um, some 55,000 uh, folk on our uh, mailing list throughout. Uh, the United Kingdom, but there are a lot of parliamentary constituencies, 650 in Westminster, 129 MSPs in Scotland. Obviously, they're not all constituency MSPs, but we do need, um, we always need more folks to be on our mailing list because uh, we know that uh, in the world of politics, numbers are always very important uh, to the politicians, that the more people that speak out on an issue, the more that they will uh, pay heed uh, to what is actually being said. and. Uh, 
I'll come back to that point in a minute. So if you're not already on our mailing list, I'd encourage you to fill out one of these cards. We've got pens on the table if you don't have one. Uh, a little blue basket on the corner of the table there as well. Just uh, pop the card in at the end of the evening. Um, if you're new to th these issues, um, then um, all the literature on our table is free. Um, but this uh, little briefing here, The Christian Faith in the Public Square, um, is a really good introduction that gives 10 biblical reasons to be a Christian witness um, in the world of um, engaging with the media, engaging on social media on these issues, indeed engaging with uh, the political realm, not just um, voting at elections, but actually when important votes come up in either the Holyrood or the Westminster Parliament, actually to engage with our, with our MSPs. Um, let's remember that, that they uh, have been placed there uh, by God. We read that in Romans 13. They are his servants for our good. That's what Romans 13.4 says. And in 1 Timothy 2, we're exhorted to pray for all those in authority. Uh, so I know we can sometimes feel a bit jaded about our politicians and what is happening in politics, but life wasn't great in the first century either. Um, and they did much worse um, than, than we uh, experience here. And yet Paul urged Timothy to, to, uh, that it should be a first priority in the services that he led as the pastor of the church in Ephesus, that there would be public prayers for kings and for all those in authority. Why? Uh, so that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life in all godliness and holiness. Fascinating. It wasn't actually the salvation of these uh, political leaders that Paul gives us the first reason to pray for them. It's actually for the preservation of freedoms and the promotion of freedoms for Christians. Um, this is good, Paul says, and pleasing to God our Saviour, uh, who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth, even those in authority, but indeed for everyone. Uh, but the link there between praying for authority and uh, religious liberty is gospel opportunity because the more freedom that we have as Christians, uh, the easier it will be for us to make Christ known to one and all. And that was why towards the end of his ministry, Paul saw how important it was for there to be uh, freedom. Uh, he'd, he'd seen much persecution in his time as a, an apostle, in his time as a believer, and towards the end of his ministry, as, as he writes to Timothy, he says, first of all, pray for those in authority. Uh, that there will be the freedom uh, to make Christ known and the freedom for Christians to live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. So uh, that is one of our briefings there. Uh, one of the big issues that we've been working on over the past three years or so that's been in the news a lot this past week, if you've uh, been following the news, uh, is the government's uh, very controversial and contentious uh, name person uh, program. Uh, what basically happened was in February 2014, legislation was passed by the Scottish Government um, which uh, appointed a uh, name person for every single uh, child and young person under the age of 18 in Scotland um, to promote, support and safeguard their well-being. It, it sounded uh, innocuous enough, it sounded well-intentioned and well-meaning, uh, but when we started to unpack the legislation, see what it said, we saw really how very sinister it was. Because one of the first things the legislation said was that the only people that could not be named persons for uh, everyone under 18 in Scotland was their own parents. 
So that sent a very strong message. The legislation sent a strong message to every family in Scotland. Every parent is under suspicion. No parent can be trusted. And that's, that's exactly what the legislation uh, was intended uh, to, to, to convey and indeed was intended uh, to secure was, was that, that uh, when, when we pressed the politicians, um, they, they, were, they were very slippery in terms of why the legislation came up. But that, that was the bottom line, was that, that they didn't trust parents to raise their children properly and there needed to be someone uh, basically watching what was going on, monitoring parenting of every single family in Scotland. We thought this was utterly ludicrous for a free society. Gordon Brewer, on one of the political programmes he was interviewing, Aileen Campbell, he said there's something a bit East German about this. Uh, and uh, there really was, um, uh, altogether. So um, what did we do? We, we had a campaign, which many of you may have been aware of, called No to NP. I don't have time to say anything about that this evening. Um, but the main thing I want to speak about uh, is the fact that because well-being was nowhere defined in the legislation, because of the um, uh, inevitable clash between named persons and parents, uh, we felt we, we really need to challenge this through the courts. Uh, so we lodged what was called a judicial review, which is a legal challenge. Uh, we were knocked back all the way uh, through the court of session, both the outer house and the inner house. Um, thankfully, we were able to, to go to the appeal court, uh, sorry, to the Supreme Court in London. Uh, would they take a different view of um, the law than the lower courts? Thankfully, they did. And we praise God that uh, we were entirely victorious in the Supreme Court. Unanimous judgment from the five judges. By the way, those five individuals are not the five judges. Um, They're basically some of the legal team and some of the parties to the judicial review uh, standing outside the Supreme Court after uh, the great victory in July last year. So because of that, because the law was struck down, that's the actual language used, it's very blunt, it's very clear, and declared not law, um, John Swinney and the SNP had to go back to the drawing board. Uh, in the meantime, what the legislation did from a Christian perspective uh, was to um, effectively uh, preserve the right of Christian families to raise their children uh, in the, the fear and in instruction of the Lord um, without the state interfering and saying, no, you can't raise your child this way. So, uh, a new bill came out in June this year, just before the summer recess. It's been um, going through uh, the committee stage at Holyrood. Um, you can see the name for it there. It's, it's quite a, a long-winded name, but it's basically trying to address the concerns raised by the Supreme Court in their judgment. Uh, it's had all sorts of uh, problems as it's gone through the both the delegated powers and um, I think it's a law reform, yeah, delegated powers and law reform committee, uh, and also the education and skills committee. So MSPs have criticised it, lawyers, teachers, um, health professionals, even the children's commissioner and the information commissioner's office, uh, all heavily critical of the legislation. Um, when John Swinney gave evidence to the delegated powers and uh, law reform, uh, committee. Uh, they asked him if he would consider bringing out a new draft code of practice. He said, no. Uh, would you consider actually allowing uh, Holyrood Parliament to vote on it? No. So they actually, th their conclusion was, we don't like that. Um, we're actually calling upon you uh, to issue a new draft code of practice and to make it subordinate legislation so that Parliament can vote on it. And uh, we're really delighted 
because John Swinney has accepted that criticism uh, and he's indicated just in this past week uh, that he will uh, have a start from scratch with a blank page, I think uh, was what he said. Uh, he will allow the Parliament to vote on the bill and the, co and the Code of Practice, most importantly, they're always going to vote on the bill, uh, to vote on the Code of Practice. And most importantly, uh, he's going to leave things until May next year when this thing called the GDPR, which stands for General Data Protection Regulation, which is a new piece of data protection law, one of the last pieces of legislation that we will bring in that's EU legislation uh, enshrined in, into domestic UK law, uh, which really does uh, protect um, the right of privacy, um, new rights of privacy coming in with this uh, so that it's only uh, one's uh, matters that would be affecting the vital interests of an individual a very high standard uh, for information data to be shared without their knowledge or consent. Uh, so we're really thankful for that. So that's where things are with the named person at present. And um, John Swinney um, accepted that he made a, mis uh, a misjudgment and indeed uh, that uh, what happened was that some uh, confusion and uncertainty has been caused by his actions. So we're, we're grateful that he, he's um, expressed humility and uh, has admitted that he's not done things well. So, interested to see what will happen next, but that's, that's where things are with the name person. I'm conscious this next issue, a lot of difficult, controversial issues that we're looking at this evening, that not all Christians, we accept not all Christians agree uh, on, this, on this particular issue, uh, but we're, we're f effectively forced to, to, uh, to consider uh, the matter because... Um, John, Sw John Finney, rather not John Swinney, John Finney, uh, the Green MSP has brought a private member's bill uh, to outlaw all and any kind of, of smacking or corporal punishment uh, of children, no matter how mild, uh, no matter what the purpose for that would be, whether it's to, to warn a child of danger if they um, keep sticking the screwdriver into the, the electric socket or whatever, um, you know, however young they would be. Uh, where it's difficult to put them on the naughty step because they don't quite understand that, they're too young to understand that. Uh, a blanket ban on all smacking is what is proposed. Now, at present in Scots law, um, reasonable chastisement is permitted, uh, but if that was done away with, then any parent uh, caught at smacking their child, no matter in, in, in how light a way uh, and for whatever reason, uh, could easily uh, face a criminal record, uh, fines, uh, perhaps lose their job if they were uh, in teaching or, or something like that, working with children, um, treated like Schedule 1, Schedule one offenders, and uh, those of you may know uh, what, what kind of offences they're involved in in relation to, to children. Uh, so it's a very, very uh, concerning issue altogether. And so whether we approve of smacking or not, surely we wouldn't want to see our brothers and sisters uh, in Christ uh, facing a criminal record, um, fines, possibly even having their children taken away from them, as actually happened last year with a Christian family from Romania who had moved to Norway. And when it was discovered that they smacked the children, all the children were taken and removed away by child protection. Um, so there, it's, it's not beyond the realms of possibility for that to happen uh, here in Scotland, especially when you think about if the named person legislation does go through, um, how that would link in perhaps with um, issues like this. So, um, I say John Finney, MSP, uh, he's going to be bringing forward a bill called the Children Equal Protection from Assault uh, Scotland Bill. Of course, 
We believe it's a misnomer for him to refer to all smacking as assault. I practiced law myself for 20 years and the common law definition of assault uh, in Scotland is an intention to cause injury to another. Uh, but we all know that, that the purpose of smacking is not, certainly most smacking, uh, is not for that. It's actually to teach boundaries, uh, to chastise uh, or indeed to warn of danger. Uh, and none of that uh, is an intention to cause injury. Uh, I was speaking with a, a friend just uh, this week, who, uh, a Christian who works with social workers, and, and, and they are all up in arms about this because it, it's so hard. I mean, they're, they're very, very busy and obviously got heavy workloads already, and they can just see uh, them being inundated uh, with, with all sorts of uh, complaints and concerns if this were to become law. And it's a case of, well, how does one define assault? Um, you know, kids playing in the playground, you know, they bump into each other, is that assault? Or if they um, get pushed over by a child on the ground, is that assault? And, and I mean, these are important matters that we would need uh, to look at very carefully um, whenever the bill comes forward to see what its wording would be. Now, I'm going to show a little video briefly, um, which I'm sure you'll find most revealing, uh, about uh, John Finney's own experience in raising uh, his two children. Uh, I should say that the, the campaign that, that we are um, involved in running is called Be Reasonable Scotland. So here's a little video that we've put together. It's with some embarrassment to say, as a parent, I did. As a parent, I did. I did. I've got two well-rounded uh, uh, offspring. So, straight from the, the horse's mouth. Okay. Um, if those of any of you are free on the 8th of December, we're actually going to be having a, an official launch of the campaign in Edinburgh. Uh, the details are there. It's, it's a morning event. Um, so if you'd like to attend that, then please speak to me uh, afterwards. In the meantime, it would be good if we would pray uh, that um, loving parents uh, will not be criminalised for simply seeking to discipline their children um, and that uh, the law, the current law, which is firm enough uh, to protect children and fair enough to protect parents uh, would be upheld and uh, be ready uh, for the bill. I say if you're on our mailing list, we'll be uh, getting in touch with you once the bill is uh, introduced uh, for you to get in touch with your MSP. Each MSP will have a vote. We're hoping that each party uh, will allow a free vote on the matter. Now, I say that it's almost like no holds barred in what we'll be looking at this evening. But I did say earlier that we'll be looking at some of the great spiritual darkness and moral decay that we have in our society. Uh, and I want to speak about this subject next. We've uh, got a couple of briefings that we've put together, uh, a general one here with the Bible's teaching and really the background to what's been happening to the whole uh, transgender issue. Um, and also a, a one for parents. You can get this one on our website. Um, I, I, we're, we're careful about, about when, we, when we make it available. Um, but uh, plenty of copies of that at the front of the table uh, to look at afterwards. Um, 
in law, one has been allowed since 2004 uh, to have, um, shall we say, legal uh, attempt at changing, uh, changing one's sex or changing one's gender, as it's often called. But uh, um, although the, the uh, words used are often transgender individual or uh, transgender individual or tran transgenderism, uh, we often use the term transsexual uh, simply because it, we don't believe it is possible to change one's gender. Indeed, we would agree with Jermaine Greer, who said that a man who has a sex change uh, does not become a woman. Uh, when she said that uh, a few months ago, uh, she was due to speak uh, to, to students in Cardiff University, and she was what they call no-platformed for daring to say such a thing. So, so it's interesting that, that uh, uh, Jermaine Greer, as a younger woman, was, was seen as the most progressive uh, forward-thinking, uh, one of the most progressive and forward-thinking forward women in the country, uh, with, with uh, all her views on, on uh, liberation of women and, and uh, uh, radical feminism. But now uh, she's seen as part of the establishment and, and, and someone basically not to be allowed even to speak uh, because um, her views are no longer uh, accepted. Uh, so it's very interesting to see uh, the way that our culture uh, is going and how intolerant uh, it, it is becoming uh, of um, really plain fact when it's, uh, when it's spoken. Now, interesting to know that since 2004, uh, fewer than 5,000 uh, gender recognition certificates have been issued. Now, I did a bit of calculation. At that time, uh, UK population was just under 60 million. It's now about 65.5 million. Uh, so at an average, over those 13 years, uh, here is uh, the, the percentage of the UK population that applied for a gender certificate in any given year. Absolutely minuscule. Uh, and it's very interesting that uh, I think something like 0.6% of the population would identify as transgender, but basically very, 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 very few of them uh, would actually want to go ahead uh, and have uh, full um, re gender reassignment surgery. But um, in spite of that, uh, there are pushes now for uh, changes to come into the law, um, both north and south of the border, uh, to allow self-declaration. So I could wake up tomorrow in spite of my beard and say, um, I want to be a woman. and I want everyone to acknowledge me as a woman uh, as of tomorrow without any uh, kind of transitioning or, or change or anything like that. So they want um, that to be enshrined in law, they want to lower the age uh, for uh, sex change from 18 to 16, to change one's legal sex. And this whole idea of, of non-binary or gender fluidity, they want legal recognition to be given. Now, Facebook, I think, has 71 different genders that you could choose. Uh, and people, because of the fluid nature of gender, as the whole ideology says, one can change from day to day. Uh, how one keeps up with that uh, is beyond me. Uh, but seriously, these things are being uh, seriously proposed. Um, and indeed, uh, in the legislative programme that um, the SNP have brought out just a few weeks ago, uh, they said that they were going to ensure that they would consult uh, on this uh, matter. Uh, LGBT rights groups like Stonewall and LGBTU Scotland are heavily pushing uh, these issues. Uh, in schools as well, uh, we find, uh, even primary schools, you can tell from the type of books here, uh, that they're for very young children, really pushing the whole transgender ideology and actually encouraging children to think that they were born in the wrong body. And I remember seeing an, art, uh, a, 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 
not an article, but uh, there was just a, 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 an item, an item on Breakfast News a few months ago. And what was actually said was, was truly shocking, that what they'd actually said, the parents had said to their child, God must have made a mistake with you. You see the spiritual darkness that there is behind this whole ideology. It's actually rejecting uh, God's good purpose in making male and female he created them. So this uh, campaign uh, is called TIE. It stands for Time for Inclusive Education. Um, I would agree with my good friend David Robertson from Solas and Dundee that it's probably more accurate to describe it as time to indoctrinate everyone uh, because that's really what it is all about. Now, how are we doing for time? Yeah, we're getting close to 7.30, so I'll, I'll skip this video. I'd love to have shown it, but uh, we are running out of time. Um, effectively, uh, what that video um, that is part of Stonewall's video that, that are sent to primary schools is uh, to push for embedding uh, LGBTI topics uh, and issues into school curricula and social <laughs> teaching, uh, making it compulsory uh, to teach about these issues in schools and uh, have mandatory teacher training on these issues. Now, uh, I've spoken to two first-year teacher training students, one at Dundee, one at Strathclyde, in the last few weeks, uh, and it's happening already. And indeed, the student who's in Dundee was told, along with all her other classmates, at the end of this day that was just LGBT, LGBT issues the whole day, if you're not on board with this agenda, you might want to reconsider a career in teaching. So that means that it's going to be very difficult uh, for Christians to have a career in teaching from now on. I think I mean, I, I've met countless Christian teachers uh, in my travels around Scotland. It's one of the most popular professions for Christians to enter uh, for all the obvious reasons. Uh, and it could well be that it, is, it will be now well impossible uh, for Christians actually uh, to even complete their teacher training course because if they're going to be true, if, if they're not going to hide their light, if they're not going to lose their saltiness, they'll be picked out. You're not in favour of this LGBT agenda, are you? And they might well, as has happened uh, with other courses like social work, south of the border, uh, people actually thrown off their course uh, for not actually endorsing this radical new agenda. Okay, so um, the Scottish Government uh, has committed itself to this um, and indeed just this week uh, the Equality Secretary Angela Constance announced uh, another public consultation, uh, not that it's a second one, but uh, I'm jumping ahead of myself slightly, uh, public consultation on this issue. Um, we've got quite a bit of time yet, but again, uh, probably in the new year, we'll be writing out to uh, our supporters. So please do be on the mailing list if you would like to respond to that public consultation. Now, um, interestingly, that the same day that that was um, to show how out of touch the politicians are with the general public, um, that same day that that was announced, the Scotsman newspaper did an online poll on the question, uh, should under-16s be able to undergo a sex change? 79% said no. So that was very heartening to see uh, that, the, that such a huge, over three-quarters of the Scottish public almost 8 in 10, actually, uh, in that online. Um, and I think those that read the Scotsman would be um, not necessarily particularly socially conservative in their views, um, but it's a pretty good cross-section of the Scottish public 
that would consider no, under 16-year-olds should not be allowed to have uh, a sex change. So that, that's very interesting indeed uh, to see that statistic. So Christians, as Christians, we need to be courageous in upholding the biblical teaching uh, that we are made male and female in the image of God, as we read in Genesis 1, verse 27. And uh, also from a pastoral perspective, transitioning to the opposite sex does not uh, resolve the problems that folks have with suffering from gender dysphoria. Indeed, Lord Winston on the radio just this past week uh, said that he is aware of many, many people that have undergone gender reassignment surgery uh, or, and, and really there's been very, very unhappy outcomes for many of them. Indeed, um, many sadly have uh, committed suicide or have wanted to go back uh, to what they were born as, but so often that surgery is irreversible. Um, so that's something that doesn't tend to get aired too much in the media, but we're thankful for influential voices like him, uh, like his, that would speak out on these issues. So please do pray uh, that um, activists demand uh, to liberalise the law will not go ahead, uh, that many Scots will respond to that public consultation and for the protection of Christian teachers and indeed Christian parents as they seek to bring, bring up their children uh, in really uh, a brave new world, one might say, uh, where you know, reality just seems not to count anymore and children are all encouraged um, to consider whether they actually have been born into the right body or not. Lastly, um, I, I, I I'll skip this, this video because I'm conscious that I've, I've gone over time a little bit, so my apologies for that. But that, that was a, a video from um, Question Time in March 2012. Um, David Cameron had just consulted, um, started to consult on same-sex marriage, and the subject matter uh, came up before... Uh, the um, the panel on the on uh, on question time, and uh, Will Young, many of you will know him, the the, the um, celebrity and pop singer. Um, he and is a practicing homosexual himself. Um, he was asked his views on the matter, and uh, Janice Atkinson, uh, who was the lady in the red jacket there, she was uh, columnist of the Daily Mail at the time. She's now an independent MEP. Um, she uh, expressed her worry and her concern about what would happen to those from a faith perspective uh, who oppose, whether it be Islam or Judaism or Christianity, opposed same-sex marriage and said, believed it was wrong. And she herself is an atheist and, and, uh, and she says no torch holder for faith. Uh, but she really, was really concerned that, 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 if, that if it became law, uh, such people of faith might well uh, be taken down to the police station for saying that same-sex marriage was wrong, to which Will Young interrupted and said, yes, rightfully so, it's homophobia. To which Janice Atkinson said, we're walking into a police state if we go down that route. So five and a half years on, uh, what Will Young wanted, which is basically for disagreeing with same-sex marriage um, to become a criminal offence, is, is that one step closer here in Scotland. Uh, George Orwell, uh, famous author of 1984 Animal Farm from the 20th century, uh, once said, the further a society drifts from the truth, the more it will hate those who speak it, or indeed accuse those who speak it of being the hateful ones. And that's really what this hate crime is all about. Uh, so Lord Brackadale, recently retired High Court judge, uh, is in charge of an independent review of hate crime. 
Uh, and there's a public consultation uh, running just now. It's only got uh, another 11 days uh, to go. Um, but um, we have the opportunity ourselves to respond to that consultation. The big question in it is, should there be offences uh, relating to the stirring up of hatred against groups? If so, which groups? And there's a heavy hint towards the LGBT community. Should there be a new stirring up hatred crime? Now, you might think, but we don't hate people from those communities. We love them. Uh, we long to see them uh, come to know Christ. Absolutely, that, that's the desire of every Christian. But the difficulty is that in the climate in which we live just now, disagreement with the lifestyle, disagreement with this ideology, is viewed as hatred by so many. Indeed, Will Young, just one example, that to say that same-sex marriage is wrong, he says, homophobia should be criminalised. As hate speech, and indeed Janice Atkinson said at the start, hate crime was what she was speaking about. So, um, at the... At the end of the consultation, at the end of the independent review, Lord Brackadale, he doesn't decide these matters. He will report to the government early next year. And we know that there will be those that are keen for uh, there to be new hate crimes in Scotland. And um, we know that they will respond in as large numbers as they are able to do so. So there's a heavy responsibility on us as Christians uh, to respond uh, in larger numbers. Now, as I think I said uh, earlier, um, you almost certainly won't have heard about this until this evening because even though it's a public consultation, there's been zero publicity uh, about it. If we uh, do our part, then Lord Brackady will have to say uh, a few respondents, the LGBT community, wanted changes in the law, but the vast majority felt the current law was adequate. So the Scottish Government would have to really have pause for thought in going ahead with new hate crime laws, if that is the response. However, if we do nothing, if we don't respond, if we hide our light under a bowl, then only, if only a few Christians respond, he will say a few respondents felt the current law was adequate, but the vast majority wanted changes. And that will be a green light for the Scottish Government to go ahead with hate crime legislation. Think of the impact that will have, not only on preaching God's word, will certain passages be not only unwise, but perhaps uh, against the law to preach on in, in, uh, further down the line. It will also shut down any kind of dissent, any kind of debate, and in particular where we see the pushes for younger and younger children to be indoctrinated in this, any parent expressing concern or dissent could be accused of a transphobic hate crime. That's how serious these matters are. So we have the opportunity now to have our say. Now, I've brought with me this evening um, a two-page briefing that we've put together, um, double-sided, how to respond to the consultation and a covering letter to go with it. So please do take that away with you uh, this evening. I think that's... Um, and I say please do join our mailing list as well with the... Um, the Angela Constance consultation on um, bringing in all sorts of new changes to the law on the transgender issue. And indeed to keep up to date with all the other issues that we deal with that I've not been able to speak about this evening, please do fill in uh, one of the cards 
I'm conscious that we won't have time for questions unless, David, we have gone over time quite a bit, haven't we? Does anyone have any pressing questions? Uh, this, uh, I'll be happy to stay around afterwards, but I'm conscious I've... I've got a question. How long is the video that we didn't see? <laughs> Sorry, I'm just curious. Um, two minutes. Can't you show it? British homosexual group Stonewall has sent this teacher training pack to primary schools. It includes a training DVD featuring interviews with teachers. I had a group of boys last year and every day they came into school and they wanted to wear the dressing up dresses. And they really loved wearing the dressing up dresses and it went on for several weeks. And within the culture of the classroom I wanted to say that that was okay. And so when some other, other boys said, why are they wearing the dresses? They shouldn't be wearing the dresses. I just said, no, that's fine. If they want to wear the dresses, that's up to them. So um, we, would, we try and encourage that kind of individuality. We have a, a cheerleading club which runs in our summer who, do big, who do go out and do big events for the whole school community. Um, uh, during sports day, so all the children, all the parents are there watching them and we've got boys with the pom-poms doing the dance and you know, I think that is absolutely wonderful. The teacher training DVD is produced with the support of the government's teacher development agency. The pack also pushes the use of pro-homosexual picture books for classroom reading. Tango Makes Three is a story about two male penguins who raise a chick together. The King and King is a story about two princes who get married. The Sissy Duckling is a story about a young duck who, in the words of the story, is a big sissy and proud of it. The Stonewall Teacher Training Pack suggests that schools perform plays based on these stories, with children acting out the roles of the characters. But we can't guarantee that when they leave that nurturing environment, that their parents, their grandparents, their neighbours are going to hold the same values as we do. And that's why we need to make sure our children are resilient and proud and assertive so that their generation will actually change. The teacher training pack is produced as part of Stonewall's Education for All campaign, which works in a coalition with over 70 organisations, including government departments and local authorities. Whenever we've shown that video uh, in meetings around Scotland, um, it, it's been met with gasps of disbelief. In fact, I was over in uh, Aaron on Friday and there was an elderly lady at the meeting I was speaking to there who was visibly shaken when she saw that video and, and, and listened to a similar presentation. She had no idea what was actually happening and uh, what is actually being promoted uh, in schools all around the country. I think that, that last head teacher, so chilling what, uh, what he said, he says, but we can't guarantee that when they leave that nurturing environment that their parents, their grandparents, their neighbours are going to hold the same values as we do, as in our values are the right ones, not the family values. And then, did you notice what he said next? That's why we need to make sure that our children, property of the state, are proud and resilient and assertive so that their generation will actually change. These activists are utterly dedicated to their cause Surely we as Christians, who have truth and right on our side, ought to be as zealous, if not more so, to be the true salt and light in society that the Lord Jesus has made us to be.
Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the freedom to meet together this evening and to consider these often quite shocking matters. Lord, how dark our world is, how marked by great moral decay. But Father, as we look at your word, uh, we see that you have made us to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And we pray, Lord, that we would not lose our saltiness, we would not hide our light, that we would be that city on a hill that cannot be hid. And we pray, Lord, that uh, you would help us uh, to speak with grace and truth, with compassion, but with uh, firm conviction in all these areas of our society, Lord. And most of all, that we would point men and women and young people to the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, the only one who can save their souls. We ask it for his glory's sake. Amen. <laughs> 